Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's five after ten here. We're it's Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day! Get the big plans: barbecuing, having a yard sale. Barbecuing, no yard sale. No yard sale. No yard sale. Although we are Craigslisting a couch right now. Oh, interested Tell us in about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already got an interested party, so it might not be available for long. It's blue. It's, it's leather. A lovely very, leather sectional. <laughs> very fashionable. Uh, about twenty years ago. Oh, yeah. No, it's nice. It's a nice couch. It's been kept in good condition. Loved. Yeah. Gently used. Joe, wait. What do you say? Gently worn. Loved. Sure. Okay. Loved. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I think the best thing you could put in that ad is that, you know, it's like pretty much absent of kids. Kids can do a number on a couch. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have a little boy and you're going to get a brand new couch. Ah, the follies of young fatherhood. <laughs> <laughs> the one we got rid of, we got like when my first son was first born and we got rid of it when he was, I guess, like eight or nine. It looked like a crime scene. <laughs> Well, no we, amount of Scotch Guard is going to protect you from them. We figured we're getting a couch with good bones, so we can always just get it reupholstered. Oh, yeah. You must have got the Pottery Barn one. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Did you? All right. We'll see. We'll see what shows up today. All right. All right. Cool. Well, best of luck in selling the couch. Yeah. Fabuloso. Oh, boy. Um, I'm tired today. Yeah, we had... Can uh, you hear it in my voice that my <laughs> arms hurt? I'll tell you, I slept really good last night, too. I I think we rented a movie, if I remember right, and somewhere about a half hour into it, I no longer was watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I slept good and hard and um, woke up less sore than I was anticipating, so that's good. I just, my hand's sore. Yeah, I'm having trouble, like, gripping my right hand. So yesterday we did the Habitat for Humanity. We had the whole office out um, to do a, a our day of labor, our eight hours donation of labor, and there was a pretty good turnout. I think in the beginning of the day, there was about 15 people there. It wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> so people escaped at lunchtime. Yeah, there was a lot of people that had like weekend. I don't want to say a lot. I mean, there was. it wasn't like the majority of people left, but it definitely leaned out as the day waned on. Uh, but it was uh, it was really fun. It was neat. There was just, you know, remember we had Julia. Well, I said we. I had Julia on the show a couple weeks ago, and... We talked all about these um, families that can get houses through Habitat for Humanity, and um, one of the components of this is that they are there on site for 500 hours during the build. So it's pretty neat to be able to do the build with those guys there and kind of working around. It was a it was a good day, um, nice day. But yeah, it's been a long time since I swung um, swung a hammer for the majority of a day. Yeah. And had I known that, I'd have brought my nail gun. But, um, you know, 
anyway, we we talked about that a bit yesterday. I I think Habitat needs some more donations, folks. If you got some extra cash laying around, or maybe a skill saw, air compressor, nail gun. Yeah, it would have been nice to get that roof on yesterday, huh? Get the trusses up. Because <laughs> they were sitting there on site. Saw them there. Yep. Yeah. But what we we finished framing out walls, and we sheeted the side of two houses, or at least got the sheeting done on one and started hanging the sheeting on the other. So yeah, it was it a was, good day, productive. You could step back and see that we did a lot. It was a pretty good day. It was a good day. So anyway, yeah, that was cool. And um, I know that we'll have... Habitat on at some point again, but um, if you guys want any info about that, you can go to our website. You can get a link to the Habitat website through there. They're always looking for donations. Um, I think the cool one would be land. If you got some land you don't know what to do with, they're dying to have some more land. Um, And then donations of materials, time. Um, labor. They've got uh, materials that work in the stores, and um, yeah, they have their two restores: one in Paso, one in San Luis, where they'll take, uh, um, you know, any products you're not using, like doors or windows. I actually have a door now that I'm going to be taken by. Now that I know that they take used doors, yeah, I have a old front door that I'm going to be taken by. I've been hanging on to for a while. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, they also said that oftentimes they get donated closeouts from the local chain hardware stores. So they they may end up actually with some brand new, really nice stuff in there to sell for less than retail. So anyway, I encourage you guys to check that out. It's all for a good cause. Um... I don't want to talk about the market today. I don't want to talk about stocks or bonds or feds or unemployment or housing. You want to talk about leisure since it's a long weekend? Just feeling sad about all that stuff. <laughs> feeling pretty sad. Well, for our industry, things it wasn't a it wasn't a great week. Rates moved higher. It was a we you know, we have about 30 banks that we work with and every day we get rate sheets emailed to us. That yeah, looks- they kind of when the market opens, you get the first smattering. Everybody says, "Hey, here's today's rate." Mm-hmm. And then on the more volatile market days, the lenders will reprice as the market moves. And so this week was full of movement. There's lots of emails. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of I would, rate sheets. I want to say we averaged, and I'm a known exaggerator, so I'm going to be careful here. <laughs> I'm going to say we averaged three reprices a day this week. I think so. That seems pretty accurate. And that's a lot. I mean, it's that's a lot. It's That's a ton of movement. And, you know, and generally we see on any given day, you know, maybe we'll see a reprice for what equates to a couple hundred dollars worse. And then later in the afternoon, we'll see it for a couple hundred dollars better. Um the next day, it might open up a couple hundred dollars better and then close a couple hundred dollars worse, or in other words, kind of even over a two-day span. This week, it was like, hey, here's the rates. Hey, here's some that are a little higher. Here's some that are a little higher. Here's some that are a little higher. And that kind of went that way for the whole week. And it's like, geez. Um, we actually, there was a day... Um, where we did catch a little bit of a break this week, but for the most part, the movement um, 
not for the most part. I mean, the the from Monday to Friday, the movement was up. Yeah. And what I saw was about a point change in the cost of, of an interest rate. So a, th- a three and a half interest rate, whatever it was costing on Monday, on Friday, it was one point higher than that. Yeah. So which means you're either going to suck up and pay the fee if your loan wasn't locked or you're going to end up um, raising the interest rate up a little bit to catch lower fees so that it just makes sense for you. And for people that are in process and their loan is locked, that's not a problem. For people that are beginning or have just applied or any of these kinds of things, um, could have an issue with interest rate because it's gotten a little more expensive. There may be a conversation to be had there. Now, um, what, what was really funny this week, though, about the whole interest rate thing, um, it really stemmed largely around um, quantitative easing, this whole deal again where the government is buying um, buying treasuries and bonds to stimulate the economy. And we they've been doing that now. In fact, we're, this new one is called QE3 doesn't even actually feel very new anymore. It's been going on for at least six months. Um, And basically, the government is just doing this. Number one, they're hoping to create jobs. They're hoping to lower the unemployment rate. They're hoping to boost stock prices. They're hoping to create some inflation, right? Because as the economy is slowing, they want to prevent deflation from happening, the devaluing of goods and services as the money supply is tight. So they do all these things to try to bolster up the economy. And when the economy demonstrates some strength, they're going to have to slow it down. And that's what basically has been going on for the last couple of weeks here. Um, people are beginning to say, hey, the uh, when are you guys going to pull the plug on this stuff? And and really, it's been said that this is likely to slow down. And, and really, this week, what we learned is it, it could be as soon as June that we'll begin to see the tapering of this. And June feels like it's forever away. And then it's like, wait, well, that's next week. And so this, of course, sent the market into a whole tissy. And the funny thing is, is that this has been one of those things that drove the stock market down and and bond prices um, down as well. It's not great news. It means there's a ton of uncertainty. It's a really, really scary thing to figure out how to unwind this and what it means and whether or not the economy is ready for it. Um, and so basically I think that the, the big thing here, you've watched Bernanke speak, no doubt, Dan, he's one of these guys. He doesn't strike me as like the kind of guy that you want to like, you know, go to happy hour with. He's, (laughs) he's real, he's real matter of fact and, and kind of rough about the way he answers questions. But he said, so someone, they did a little Q and a on Thursday and someone asked him, um, do you plan to cut does the Fed plan to cut back bond purchases before Labor Day? And maybe he could have said no. I mean, he could have said plan, like do we have an active plan to cut this before Labor Day? No. Wasn't like a normal type of thing. He gave his response, you know, kind of snide is, well, if the data supports it, we will. And 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 that's probably the right answer. Which is and, and it's the answer that's consistent with what's been said 
since QE3 was rolled out. QE3, you'll remember, (coughs) was nicknamed QE Infinity because there was no definite expiration date for this this round of quantitative yeah, easing. Yeah, because in each of the previous ones, if they had a budget of, you know, they're going to buy $2 billion or whatever billion dollars at a, at this rate, well, okay, now we can track the rate and know when the expiration of the program is going to happen and the market knows how to react to that. So what we have today is all of the investors are literally on pins and needles going, if you all of a sudden in the June minutes, you just say it's done and you're out we're clobbered and so in because of that so this this um infinity program dan this this was smart i think to begin with but now it's turning out to be a double-edged sword i don't think it's any different than the than the other well, the market, the market can't look for an extension or news of an extension. Can't plan for the gradual expiration of it. But it's every, just going to have the bomb dropped on them. Well, but for round one of quantitative easing and round two of quantitative easing, there was no definite that it was going to be extended. There was there was no, unknowns but you going into see it. Just like the this market, one. if you looked at like a graph of the budget allotment being used versus. Um, the market's movement, you could see that as it was tapering off, the market was picking up. And then when it was reinstated, the market dropped again. And then as that began to wore out, it ticked up. And that's what brought us into QE3. So the... I, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that I necessarily think there's a better way to do it or whatever. But now, what we really see is more than ever, um, we're hanging on the words here. Every single time something's talked about in terms of QE3 and when it's going to stop, uh, we see the market go a little bit haywire, and you know, and probably for really good reason. We don't. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot going into this, um, the QE3 and then also raising of interest rates um, that we're going to have repercussion with as a country. And, you know, we when we had The Economist on, talked a little bit about it before, is you have um, all of the bonds and stuff today aren't that big of a deal. Um, when you're having to make the interest payments on those bonds at tomorrow's interest rates or tomorrow's new bond rates, that's where the pain starts to come in. And, you know, so I, it's just one of these things where it is a really edgy, dicey little thing that's going to have to play out. And I'm sure that we'll manage it well, but there's weeks like this week where it, it beats us up in the market a little bit and it's pretty frustrating. Yeah, I I I don't feel um, like it's unexpected or anything like that. I I mean, you know, at our office meetings that we've been preparing our loan officers for this kind of volatility, we've seen you know a lot of times the the traders that are involved specifically in the bond market are interviewed on CNBC, and a lot of them for the past several weeks, if not months, have been talking about bonds as a short term play because they know there's this expiration looming. We've known that the Fed is looking at the unemployment rate. They've consistently said that since the rollout of this version of of quantitative easing. They're looking for a 6.5% national unemployment rate. We're down to, what, 7.1% right now, so we're very, very close. They have 
also said that they're looking at the general economic picture. And as the economy appears to be able to sustain this improvement, which, I mean, we've seen consistent um, improvement in employment, consistent improvement in housing. We've seen consistent improvement in other facets of our economy. Auto sales, retail sales have remained strong. Consumer sentiment continues to improve. Some of the leading indicators, like the housing starts and building permits, continue to improve month over month. None of them are up to the levels that we saw when our economy was really chugging along, but that may have not been a realistic barometer either for what our economy should be doing in a healthy state. And all of those headlines, basically, that you summarized a minute ago about how every there's strength in most each sector of the economy, you've got to remember, too, that we're only here the fifth month of the year. Um, the fiscal cliff was navigated. We've accepted the expiration of some of the, the tax breaks on the employee payroll tax. Um, so we've we've kind of dealt with a lot of these things and that we're supposed to be just staggering and, and maybe even we couldn't overcome. We couldn't keep the recovery alive with these things. And the recovery is, feels like it's kind of steamrolling through it. So we're beginning to see that when the feds meet up to make their statement. They're recognizing that, that, hey, we're making some progress. And if this all continues, we're going to have to begin to unwind some of this stuff and let the market begin to return to some kind of normalcy. Yeah, it's time to see if this thing can ride without the training wheels. Right. And And so, you know, uh, that's an interesting thing. Um, So you're starting to get you're starting to feel the antsiness of the market, the, the anxiousness of change and and traders are smelling an opportunity if you're positioned right to maybe make a little money here or you know if you're not positioned right to lose some money so there's a lot of anxiousness and and you know there's a lot of um inquisition with the fed wondering okay give us more clues tell us when you're going to stop doing it right now the consensus is um that the bond purchases are not going to be curtailed next month um September right now, from what I'm reading and hearing, seems to be the time that people are are thinking that may be when we really start to see some change in the policies um, is that September meeting. There's some time schedule where Bernanke is going to be speaking in front of people. There's a conference in September. So it seems like the stars might align for that to be the right time. Well, and, you know, if if you're not tracking along perfectly – and just need the real layman's version of this. It's not going to stop overnight. We're going to hear a meeting probably in July where at the July minutes, we're going to hear the statement from the Fed. And they're going to say, hey, look, we've been rolling $85 billion a month on this. We're going to scale it back to 50 to $65 billion. Um, for the foreseeable future, we're going to see how it works. Let's see if do does the market just go haywire. I mean, when when the Fed pulls out of that, what do you expect? I expect to see bond prices go up, so interest rates are going to go with it. I also expect to see the stock market take a little bit of a blow. That's a lot of money being pulled out of circulation. That's a lot of um, the manipulation of these things. Because remember, businesses across the country, the other parts of this, to stimulate business, build economy, create jobs, the reason we do all of this stimulus stuff, um, we're going to be pulling back on that a little bit. So if you're Coca-Cola or whoever you are, 
Boeing, you're benefiting from these 0% interest rates. You're benefiting from um, the stimulus and monetary policy that's going on. So when we, when we look at your stock values or your future stock values, those things are going to pull back a little bit as we begin to bail out of this QE3. So it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be tiered and gradual. Um, if it's having a really dramatic effect, they'll look at having, you know, stepping it back up, figuring out a different trick. There's other things that, you know, we're running out of tricks as far as monetary policy goes, but um, they're basically we'll be able to monitor it closely. So we don't, what we don't want to see is the big knee jerk reaction. And that was a thing that was just a little bit alarming to me this week is I wish some of the traders would sit back and quit, you know, being little crybabies about this. It's going to happen. It's going to come. We don't know when it's going to happen. We know that the Fed is smart. Uh, they're going to taper it well. It's going to be monitored on the, you know, as we begin to slide to make sure it's okay. And each month we'll get a little update as to what to expect the next month. We don't need to go haywire in just one week. And the um, other thing we've learned from the Fed, this their new um, interactions with the media is that they're going to be very transparent. Very transparent. They're, they've done a great job in the last six months or so. Um, <laughs> delivering their minutes in a very transparent way, real time. Um, you know, as soon as that two-day meeting is over, there there's a conference that goes on to talk about what was discussed. And so what we learned from the April 30th to May 1st meeting was a number of members are expressing a willingness to scale back the the purchase program now. So they're discussing it. We know that they're talking about it. It's got the traders a little up in arms right now, trying to get every little clue they can to know how to adjust their portfolios. Well, and in doing so, I mean, it's not all bad. I, I say this as the the guy that makes his living on the mortgage rate, but look, if you've already refied into the, the dirt cheap interest rate, um, you're... Now it's time to have some savings in other parts of your life. I mean, now, hey, or some imagine, income from savings. Yeah, imagine <laughs> being able to make some interest on your savings account again. Yeah, these kinds of things. And, and there's already been some great pieces written about this, um, kind of helping household balance sheets pick up in that way, and also to encourage savings. I mean, so so far for the last seven years, we've been encouraging people to have less debt. Okay, that doesn't exactly translate into less savings. Um, we've also been encouraging people to spend a little bit smarter. Um, that doesn't necessarily translate into savings. When you have, you know, if you can get four or five or six percent on a 24 month CD, now we're talking about encouraging some savings. And then there's a lot of people, we could talk about this for the next half hour. There's a lot of reasons why having higher interest rates is going to benefit the balance sheet for a lot of households in the U.S., especially some of the older population that's got savings that doesn't want to be off in the stock market and the bond markets pretty disastrous and being able to have some savings on um, interest on the savings that they do have would be kind of a game changer for. So this is one of the final pieces here to the economic recovery. And, 
and it's exciting. It's a little bit, you know, obviously there's some nervousness with it, but it's exciting as we're like trying to see how it's going to go and, and how the Fed can scale back these things and get a, get every, all the pieces working together. Um, but it's created some volatility this week, and that's that's probably the only downfall. Yeah, it comes across kind of as a as a a less than exciting moment for us because you know we've got business that relies on low interest rates, but at the same time the the big silver lining for everyone is that the economy is improving and showing some longer term potential for maintaining this improvement. So that that's what's good for everyone. Sometimes I say, dear Lord, just one more year of these 3% interest rates. <laughs> what I, we really need. I promise I'll save a lot. I'll be hardworking. <laughs> what we really need is a revision. You know, as as we're getting the Fed out of the, you know, the bond buying picture and that kind of thing, letting the economy kind of stand on its own, we need one more phase of refinancing for underwater homeowners and that's the non Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac people who before rates move up into the five and six percent range give them an opportunity to get their debt service down get them refinanced it could it might just be too late I mean by the time we wake up and change the program in a way that will affect people positively, we may have already lost the opportunity to combine that with the super low rate. Yeah, a lot of those people with the loans from pre-2009 are sitting on a 6 or 7% interest rate. So I think rates would really have to change a lot for the opportunity to be lost on them. The average HARP loan is reducing the interest rate. For the homeowner by almost 2%, saving almost $200 a month. That's across the country. So you know those numbers are going to be a lot greater in California regarding the monthly savings. So imagine if you open that up to all the folks who aren't Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac borrowers. What The number I read in an industry publication here is that about 2.2 million people have refinanced with HARP already, and there's still 2.7 million underwater homeowners who can't take advantage of the program. So – we could we could tackle the other half of the problem if if we could um, get a little revision to that program. Yeah, that'd be the last piece. Get out of bond buying. Get get into helping the underwater guy one last time. And then let's move on. That's that's my thought. Dan for mayor. I'm ready for that. I'd love to see that. Let's move that. <laughs> I don't think Mayor quite has the clout to be able to. Governor. We'll give you governor. Okay. I'm not ready for you to be like, you know, federal official yet. Yeah, Guys, it's 1031 here, and we need to do a commercial break because we do have sponsors that help make the show possible. Um, so we're going to go ahead and do a commercial break. When we get back, we got a lot more to go. Uh, if you weren't into that first segment about the Treasury and the Fed and Bernanke and could care less about bonds and interest rates and stuff, don't worry. We're going to move on from that. We're gonna. There's a lot more to talk about. We're excited to do so. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
wouldn't hike Mount Everest without a Sherpa, and you shouldn't endure the loan process without one either. At Central Coast Lending, we take the confusion, stress, and anxiety out of your loan transaction. Our experienced team of loan officers will serve as your guides, your experts, your mortgage Sherpas. Let the Central Coast Lending mortgage Sherpas lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The third annual Stax Wine Raffle is on, and you can win 100 bottles of premium wine valued at over $3,000 courtesy of Stax Wine Bar of Morrow Bay. Only 100 tickets will be sold. One in five tickets will be a winner, but only one lucky person will win the grand prize. All proceeds are to benefit the Morrow Bay 4th of July celebration. The raffle will be held on June 30th at 1 p.m. at Stax Wine Bar in Morrow Bay. Help support the Morrow Bay 4th of July and buy your raffle ticket today. For more info, call 772-5055. That's 772-5055, or go to StaxWine.com. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Two Mortgage Matters. Jim is reminding us all that it's Memorial Day weekend. For many, that means um, a three- or four-day weekend. That's right. You got big plans, Jim? Uh, well, I'm working today. Maybe barbecuing. Maybe. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Could probably cook a tri-tip or something. Yeah, that sounds... Sounds great to me. It's more American than that. That uh, beer fest was sounding pretty good, though, we were yeah. talking about during the break. When I was yeah. pulling up, when I was uh, getting off the freeway today, um, I saw some people getting together out there. I saw a couple tents up. I saw some cars parked. I think a thing starts at 10 or something, right? I think 11. 11. 11. Yeah. Yeah, if you're into fun leisure activities that involve lots of booze this is your day there's a tequila <laughs> this is your this day this is your day this day is for you what there's a tequila festival i think out in avila beach there's the beer festival um at the madonna meadow is that what it is it's, it's in the grassy uh, area yeah i think year. they call it madonna meadow okay yeah yeah so there's a couple of big events going on um and then of course yeah we most of us a lot of us get monday off I know I get Monday off. You get Monday, Monday off? Jim? I get Monday off. Awesome. Jason? I'm going to take sure Monday take, off. You know, you're taking Monday off. Yeah. Yeah, for go. sure. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be basically like a normal weekend for us. 
Oh, two days? Two days off. Well, you know, doing yard or housework yesterday kind of made it feel like a four-day weekend, right? Yeah, not so much for me. <laughs> Isn't that what adult life's all about? Just kind of. Doing but, housework? But at least if I'm, like, doing housework, it's, like, at home and, like, my kids are around and stuff. You know, being out there yesterday was kind of like... But, Jason, you have the kids old enough saying, uh, you go mow the lawn. You yeah, go, my son mowed the water, lawn. You go uh, and you can delegate. My oldest boy <laughs> mowed the lawn the other day for the first time. And I mean... How did it go? He did pretty good. Yeah, there you go. Um, come on. When you cut the grass, and it only really matters, like, like right when you finish the job, you look back up at it and, like, you you do it really straight. So you see... Dan, I know Dan probably cuts a lawn with like a speed square to make sure that the, <laughs> the lines are just perfect. He's but out there you, with one of those chalk But you know tapes. what I'm talking about? Like you, you, you kind of lay it out in your mind. I'm okay. I'm gonna go this way because then I can go that way. And we got a couple curves and stuff. So there's some parts to nip off the curve so that for the majority of the grass, the lines are very straight. Um, Trey did a fantastic job cutting our grass. And he kind of did it in these big arches across the grass so they weren't particularly straight but he got it all like he kept putting the wheel down the previous wheels track so he did good but it didn't have that line look you know but the next day you know like once it kind of sun comes up and it's been watered then it's the marks are gone and it just looked good so he did a good job (laughs) i'm gonna have to to go school him up about you know how you lay this out in your mind to really nail those angles i know it's it's the little things, though. Did your dad? You probably got sent to like the details school. There must have yeah, been like there an was lawn mowing school that I went to. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, what you're supposed to do, I'll, I'll <laughs> school oh, you a little bit here. You've got to change up your pattern from week to week so that you're not mm. just going over the lawn in the same way. That way, you get okay. You know, your your lawn doesn't get trained to lay a certain way. You keep it. Hey, well, look, Keep it changed up. the lawn thing's a little new to me because in Big Bear, um, <laughs> if you mow pine needles, it's really dusty. <laughs> we don't have lawns up there. Um, I mean, like some people do. The people that like picking pine needles out of grass do. <laughs> you can't even really rake pine needles very well. That's the Mortgage Matters and Home Improvement show now. Sure. Yeah, it's jack of all trades here. Yeah, man. Gardening. We know how to mow. <laughs> We don't have to mix up our mowing so we don't train our grass inappropriately. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. Hey, well, um, you know, we've been talking uh, for quite a while here about the recovery here going to be about jobs and housing and housing and jobs. And um, so we've – we talked ad nausea about the uh, Fed stuff. It is a little bit based on employment, though. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about employment. I'm sure you got some news articles over there, Mr. Podesto. Yeah, sure. Let's talk Um, about that. The unemployment numbers were crazy. Went super low. You missed last week, right? I was here last week. Um, Two weeks ago, you missed. (laughs) (laughs) You missed like the touchdown of the lowest of all lows. And then last last week. For jobless claims. Yeah, we added back a pretty healthy amount, a little bit unexpected, a pretty good number we added. We've kind of fell back up. And now this week, 
Drum roll, Jim. Where's the drum roll button? If you got to go looking for it in the computer, that's not going to work at all. Um, at any rate, this week, initial jobless claims um, were down again. That was your segue. That's they were so- down. Yeah. They were darn near that record or that five-year low. Um at least the the four week moving average down below three hundred and forty thousand claims. That's the four week moving average. It's a little less volatile than the week to week number that we follow, but yeah, back down to a a range that's consistent with job growth. So that's exciting to see. And again, you you kind of look at it over the past several months, and we're seeing a consistent decline from month to month. We have a little aberration every now and then, but consistently yeah. that jobless applications number is falling week to week i pulled out a piece to try to zoom out a little bit there um the four week average is nine percent lower than it was in november so sometimes we get if you get caught up in the week to week or just paying attention to the um the four week moving average it's hard to get that bigger picture view um, so the bigger picture is 9% lower than it was in November. Now, that means that 4.7 million Americans were receiving unemployment benefits in the week that ended um, May 4th, okay? That was down 23% from a year earlier where there was 6.2 million people on unemployment. So 6.2 million Fast forward a year later, that number's dropped to 4.7. The economy still has 2.6 fewer jobs than it did when the recession began. So we've added back a lot of jobs that have been shed um, since December of 2007. The unemployment rate has fallen to a four-year low of 7.5%. That was a max... um, October of 2009, we'd hit the 10% mark. So, um, and so when you look at those metrics, that's pretty decent. Uh, a lot of those numbers, and to find out that we've improved nearly 10% over November is great. Couple million jobs, um, or you know, less people on unemployment than there was a year ago. That's pretty good. Unemployment rate down from the peak to the lowest that it's been in four years. That's pretty good. And of course, each one of these, you know, stats and articles, especially when you get into some of the stuff that's a little bit more opinion-based editorial, they're quick to talk about the government stopping to count people um, that have given up looking for work or people that have hit the end of the term and become automatically retired by the system. So... Some of the numbers in there, some of that improvement is because of people being forced into retirement or actually electing to look to give up looking for work. Um, but altogether, it looks like there is um, some decent news in the jobs market. And, um, you know, the four-week mo- moving average here, 338000 Um Anything below 350 is considered moderate, moderate job growth. So that's good. Some kind of growth is good. Not seeing those numbers go up anymore is good. And it's and it's been consistent. It's and it's been across the country. 
that we're seeing these numbers. The state of California has been doing great. Uh, our county has been doing great. We got some updated information for our local area uh, this week. San Luis Obispo County's jobless rate declined in April, fell to 6.1%, um, which ranks seventh out of 58 counties in California. So that's that's great. We're at the top of the pack in in our state. The state has improved significantly. Its unemployment rate is down to eight and a half percent. So we're we're making progress everywhere. It's it's great to see, and we're seeing the job creation in a lot of sectors now. Remember last year we were seeing a lot of government jobs being cut. That was where a lot of the job losses were where the concentration of job losses seemed to be was in the government sector. And now we're seeing government kind of maintaining, if not growing a little bit um, as far as their jobs. We're seeing construction be a big winner in the job creation area. We're seeing a lot of the financial services and um, hospitality services industries picking up in jobs. There's a lot of jobs across the board in a lot of different areas um, that are improving. It's a across the board good news, I think. Yeah. It seems like really the one area where we could stand to do better is still that manufacturing side. The things that seem to those jobs that seem to go to other countries. It'd be nice to see us do a little better there. But otherwise, I think it's been consistent. It's been good. We're getting there. I'm curious to see what the new kind of normal unemployment rate for our country is once we do stop with the stimulus and have a few months or years of um, just our economy doing its own thing. I was talking to a family member this last week that um, I guess she's in her 50s, had a pretty remarkable career, and um, she's been unemployed for a while, got laid off from a big firm. Lots of savings, lots of, um, you know, still a, a, a fine income string. Could really be done working, but not ready yet to be done working. Um, she was saying that it's just so hard to find a job, like a good job like that, when, you know, especially anything tech based when you're in your 50s. So it's oh, like, yeah. and it's almost like um, when English is your second language. It's like, yeah, you can be pretty good or whatever, but we could tell it's not your first language. You know, there's those little things you say or do that remind us that this is your second language. And that's kind of how she feels viewed by the job market being in her 50s. It's like, well, yeah, so you can check your email and you know how to do these things, but you weren't raised like in a computer the way that kids are today. And any training that you have on software systems and stuff, it's like ever evolving. And kids today, it's like they're running iPads from the time that they're like, you know, nine months old or whenever they can finally crawl over to one. And so she was just like lamenting how hard it is to, to swallow that pill that, that, kind of the job market says you got to be you're done (laughs) you know and that's it was an interesting conversation for me and i'm sure it's a little bit different in different sectors of the economy and stuff and i said well you should be self-employed then 
I mean, if that's the deal, if you still do have that relevant experience and education and um, all of that work history and you know how to make it happen, um, then it's not simply just a function of age. Then, you know, maybe self-employment's the answer. Start your own firm. Show them <laughs> show them whippersnappers what's up. And, um, you know, so I, that's one of the things that, you know, is look at the unemployment stuff. And the other thing, too, that was really difficult is that um, a lot of even applications uh, would ask you if you've been on unemployment um, for more than a year. And then it's just like your disqualifier. Wow. So, um, and, and it was several of the big tech firms. That was one of their like leading questions. And if so, they didn't want to deal with you and not sure, you know, if it's because the kind of person that doesn't work for a year, isn't the kind of person we want in our firm, or if it's because the industry has evolved so much in the last year that simply being gone for one year could render you, you know, way behind the curve. And, but um, so yeah, there's there's an awful lot of people that are caught in the unemployment thing like that that want to figure out how to get out. And by the way, she's one of the ones that's being counted as retired. So um, your advice is follow the old adage: if you can't join them, beat them. Beat them. Yeah. Heck yeah, beat them. I think so. I mean, is it, how much how much greatness has come from competition? Oh, I mean that's. It's what drives us. We want, whether it's ego, whether you want to view ego as good or bad, the desire to outperform your peers and to show them um, your superiority. Well, and what's amazing about our country, we were talking about this um, while driving the other day. You know, there's so many people, so many potential customers and consumers of whatever you're doing, your good or your service that you just need to convince a small percentage of them to use you for your good or service and you can make a decent living sure doing it so that's what's great about our country and that's why you know small business is one of the big drivers of our country's economy it's it's what so many people rely on to earn a living and so yeah that's certainly a, an option for someone who's having trouble well, working their way back into the the normal workplace and, and to that end i mean my experience about small business has been um of the ones that i i've known in my lifetime i see a kind of a small spectrum uh, but generally the people running the small businesses are passionate Failure is like not an option because they're all in. It's like everything they have. They left a good job or whatever to make this happen. And they're super excited about it. They love it. Failure is not an option. They're going to make it happen no matter what. And they are delivering exceptional goods or services usually. You know, I mean, that that's just been my experience. And so, yeah, that that's my advice to a lot of people that are – in that issue of not being able to find gainful head of household type of employment is go for it on your own. You can do it. It's America. Play that Memorial Day stuff again there, Jim. <laughs> you can you can, man. It's it's awesome stuff. Well, and the other half of this economic recovery picture aside from jobs is the housing side and we continue to see good news there. Um 
we had a national number about pending, or I'm sorry, this is um, existing home sales reached their highest level in three and a half years. Looks like more properties are being listed for sale, which is good news because there's a lot of people wanting to buy right now. Um, so the annual rate of sales has improved. Home sales have gone up nearly 10% in the last 12 months. Um, you zoom in to our county. You know, the only time it was better in recent history was when they had the tax credits. Right. Which that was, what, 2010, 2009? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, when they had that Somewhere home buyer tax credit incentivizing people to go out and buy <laughs> if homes. If you just bought a home, they would basically give you ten grand. Yeah. So since then, this is we're seeing the best sales and best home price appreciation figures since there was stimulus to get out and buy a home. I guess there still is stimulus with the interest rate side, but um, there was extra going on there just for buying a home. So now we're seeing the numbers really pick up and stay up year over year. Oh, in our county, April marked the 12th month in a row in which the median price for a home was higher than the same month a year ago. So we've seen a full year of year over year price improvements. Um, we're now sitting at a median home price in our county of 390000 So that's great. Better than the median home price in California, which is up to three twenty four. So our county's at three ninety. Goes on to talk about um, home sales and condo sales up year over year pretty significantly. It's about fifteen percent for single family homes, forty percent for condos, and then the prices are up. You know, 15 to 20 percent in both categories, respectively. The sales mix has also become a lot healthier lately. When you look back at what what of this that's actually selling is part of that distressed mix that used to exist. The reason why the government had to pay you 10 grand to go yeah. buy one of these piles um, today, uh, distressed sales make up only about 18 percent of the market in April, which is down. That's incredible. Is that nationwide? Yep. 23 um, percent in the first quarter and 28% in April 2012. So again, real quick, 28% a year ago, 18% today. And a year ago wasn't even the peak of the distressed properties. There were, I mean, I I can recall months where distressed sales were 40, 50% of all sales. That's right. And then, yeah, and then just nationally this week we learned that the median price of an existing home was 11% higher over the year. So that's – there's your takeaway right there. That's pretty good stuff. long as we're talking about home sales stuff, I brought some stuff nationally here for new home sales. 2.3% on a seasonally adjusted basis. When I see seasonally adjusted, I start to – Yawn and snore a little. Um, not positive what that means. Um, blah, blah, blah. Then basically going on to say that um, this is kind of interesting stuff here. So 45,000 homes sold in April, okay? 12,000 of them sold for less than 200 grand. 14,000 of them sold between 200 and 300. And then 6,000 of them sold for more than 500,000. So that's just kind of interesting. Kind of, and this, again, this is a national statistic here. In the month, the, the sort of 
majority of the transactions are taking place between the two hundred and three hundred thousand, and then twice as many homes are selling at the less than two hundred that are selling for the more than five hundred. So you can see that there's a lot of activity in the lower and middle end, and then nationally when you get above five hundred thousand. So the housing stock that's being built in the month of April is not catering just to the super wealthy mansion homes, but we're building housing stock for what it looks like the middle of the road housing inventory and entry level housing, which I'd argue are both signs of health. Um, construction spending, if you looked at new home sales two to three years ago, these numbers would be slanted much more towards uh, building higher-end homes for people that were unaffected by the recession. So wait, were all those sales numbers, the 40-some thousand, was that new or existing homes? What's that? The 40-some thousand, was that new or existing homes? That was new home sales? New home sales in the month of April. Yeah. That is good news. Because, yeah, going – I mean, what I heard was pretty consistent numbers – up to 200,000, 200 to 300, and then the 300 to 500 um, all seem pretty consistent. So that's good. Those are definitely different categories of housing. Um, that's that's great. Yeah, and if you look at that and kind of annualize it, um, so, so first of all, a home being sold in the month of April was built uh, as a new home, was being built through part of winter. I mean, depending on how big your crew is, these things take a few months to build. So we're not quite yet in the optimum, we had beautiful weather to like mass produce homes for months in a row kind of thing. We're looking for somewhere in 950,000 homes a year to be built in the country. So we're not quite on that pace with selling 45,000 of these homes last month, but... um, What I think the cool takeaway, yeah, is that mix. It's nice to see the kind of homes that are being built um, and to know that 45,000 new homes were bought in the month. Yeah, that's important because when I see headlines in uh, industry publications like property flipping hot in Orlando – that's not good, <laughs> you know. Especially when we're five years off of a well, major. Those are just disaster. the people that die, though. You buy their house and sell it again. <laughs> right. Orlando, heaven's waiting room. Haven't you read? <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, we got to do um, just about the top of the hour break here. I want to remind you of a couple things. I mean, number one, we have a whole other hour to go. Oh. I forgot this morning to tune in. Was that new show on, or is that not yet? Next week. Okay, Next week. we were we we were promised this week. Okay, but unfortunately, um, yeah, there was Their one more week of the pinkest. One, yeah, this was the, the farewell one. episode of your yeah, fish oil commercial. Yeah, they didn't change it exactly. up, did they? Oh no! no Thank no. God. I mean, it's been the same message for <laughs> no, why, sixty you know, months. Why on earth? Same exact message. Yeah, don't no change problem. it for the last show. No. Uh, but at any rate, um, so Jeff there's Bradley a whole other hour to go. Nine. Next week will be the first uh, Saturday where you're just gonna have a block of awesome local radio. Um, <laughs> and I just want to remind you guys, that we're gonna do the interactive section of the show this next hour here. So if you are interested, give us a call five four three eight eight three zero. Love to hear from you. 543-8830. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters.
All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. I'm Jason Grody. I'm in the studio here with Dan Podesto, and we're the owner-operators of owners-operators or owner-operators. This is like attorneys general. Daniel, he, Dan looks at me like crazy sometimes <laughs> when I say stuff like that. Owners-operators. I think that sounds right. That sounds good. Anyway, the company Central Coast Lending, and we're a brokerage here on the Central Coast um, doing all financing for residential properties. We actually get calls from time to time uh, inquiring for commercial loans. And, you know, usually the standard answer I give people is that we're um, not really. I mean, we do... Residential financing, we know we're the best at it. We're experts at it. Um, feel completely comfortable in any one of the loan programs, and there's actually a lot of them. Um, but all the all the pieces about you know the income, the assets, the credit, how is derogatory credit viewed, um, eligibility for after a bankruptcy or a short sale or a foreclosure or a deed in lieu. Just all of the moving parts, everything there is to consider um, for residential financing, we are comfortable. I mean, seldom do we even have to look things up. If anything, uh, we will confirm the things that we know. But, you know, because we're a broker when we work with a lot of different banks, if you have an issue with a, you know, say you had a, a bankruptcy two years ago, um, a lot of the companies simply won't work with you. Then there's a handful of them that will. And so we usually will go look those up to make sure that that's one of the companies that's okay with that um, recent derogatory credit thing. But anyways, my point is we're very, very skilled at the residential side, not so much on the commercial side. I mean, we have some ability to do that stuff. And we actually have a loan officer in the company that does feel very skilled in that. Uh, but it ain't me. So um, we have offices around the county. And on the day-to-day, I I thought it might be fun to just talk a little bit about what we're doing every day. Because on the show, we talk about a lot of these economic principles and the, the kind of the reason why we um, follow the market and this kind of stuff. But what does a typical day look like for me? Um, on the typical day... Um, working with an average probably of two or three dozen loan clients. And this is a mix between people that are calling for the first time to find out whether or not they should refi. Are they um, in a position to do so and going to qualify? Want to help that person understand the costs associated with the refi? whether it's potential to do a low or no cost loan and have a conversation about whether we want to uh, buy the interest rate down, what that math looks like. Um, Then there's people that are calling because they want to buy their first home or a move up home for their family, need to get pre-qualified so they know um, what price range they're approved to shop for. And for that client, we like to do a, a good job of giving them uh, written estimates of the cost, both upfront and then monthly at different price ranges. I mean, I, I'll prepare a quote for somebody that's 
hey, you're pre-qualified to buy a $600,000 house. So this is what it looks like. Here's a 550, here's a 500, here's a 450. You can then understand how much are you going to be expected to pay at the closing of the loan for the down payment and the closing costs and all this, but then also what's the monthly payment going to be taking into consideration the taxes and the insurance. So we so we're always trying to do that and um yeah, so that's that's usually kind of what we're doing on the day in and day out. Once people actually apply, then we're working on getting those loans through the system. And, and for that part of the business, we have loan processors that help us move the paper along. Uh, but um, there's a lot that goes into that for sure. And uh, it's um, it's really actually pretty exciting. It can be pretty stressful and pretty exciting um, trying to manage that stuff and, and keep all the balls in the air without um, – missing any of the details or, or failing to give people updates and these kind of things. But um, we do FHA loans, USDA loans, conventional loans. Um, what else? VA. I mean, basically, if there's a loan product offered, we're able to do it. Some of the big national companies have some good marketing, and they make it sound like it's stuff only they can do. Uh, but that's generally not the case. Like, what's the – is it Quicken that does the Yorgage commercial? Yeah, the Yorgage. We've got multiple banks, including Quicken, that we can do a customized loan term for you. That's right. So, yeah, that's – there's really nothing proprietary in the mortgage world. Uh, there's very, very few things that are anymore. Um, we we call them the three Fs, Fannie, Freddie, FHA. They're the – the main loan programs that everyone uses, but a lot of companies have good marketing and make it seem like they're offering you, we're the only company that can offer you a no-cost loan. If you refinance six months ago, we can get your rate lower for no cost. Well, every mortgage company can do right. that. We can certainly do that. Will it surprise you to learn that yesterday the um, one of the crew members at Habitat and I got into a conversation about a loan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. He's he's buying a condo. And um, that came up early in the day. And so I said, oh, cool. You know, and, yeah, buying a condo up in the Dove Creek. And I said, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, they were sending the majority of their clients over to KD Capital, which is a brokerage up in Paso Robles. And offering like a two thousand um, dollar incentive in the closing costs for um, working with them, right? I mean, this this is pretty common in a new home tract, and so i I didn't say much right away, but um, later in the day, once we'd kind of developed a little bit more credibility with one another, I eventually told him. Um, that credit that they're offered from the builder for their closing costs if they go with the preferred lender, um, the credit usually, if they give you a $2,000 credit and you compare their closing cost estimate to ours, ours is still generally better. Um, when... When they're using one of the brokers, that's not always the case. The brokers are way more competitive than the banks. Um, but when it's Wells Fargo that they're using for the preferred lender and they're getting a $2,000 credit through Wells Fargo, 
Um, we can usually beat the deal so good that this is one of the, the issues I have with this is very it's distracting. Oh, well, there's a $2,000 credit. Okay, but what does that mean at the end of the form? What's the check that you're going to write and what's your interest rate? Because that's all I want to talk about. I don't want to be confused by, well, he has this fee, but you don't. And you have this fee, but he doesn't. And and then here's a credit and I see you have a credit, but are those, you know, how are they related or different? Let's not do that drill. Let's skip all the way to the bottom. What is the check that you're going to have to write? And what's the interest rate? Because that's that's where the rubber meets the road. With or without the fancy credits or the waiving of fees or the whatever. Let's add up the true cost to this thing and see who's cheaper. And um, the banks honestly can't compete. They just can't. Could it be, too, that they maybe they're jacking up the closing cost and then making it seem like a credit at the end? Uh, in a bank, Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the banks are under a separate set of laws in terms of what they need to disclose, I would be very surprised if they were able to accomplish that in a brokerage because the laws are so different. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not something I could do whether or not I wanted to. If a client came into the street for me and um, I couldn't charge them an extra couple thousand bucks and then give it back to them in some way. It's just not how it works. The government has done a pretty good job of getting up in the mix on compensation for loan officers, and it's regulated now and fixed. It doesn't vary from transaction to transaction. It's not dependent on Mm -hmm. um, factors of the loan or the profitability of the loan, um, where in yesteryear none of that stuff mattered. You know, you could right. you could do whatever you wanted. So today, um, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty fixed game, and not every company's profit margin is set exactly the same. But the um, the thing here, the takeaway is that in the banks, they don't have to disclose their profit margin. So you have no idea how much they're making. They could be giving you back any or all of that. Um, and you would have no idea what percentage still they were making or what percentage of that you were receiving. Um, and so, again, but rather than try to disseminate that and get all up in the mix and know whether they marked it up to mark it down, um, let's just compare closing costs. Let's merely look at, so your down payment's twenty grand. Awesome. How much is the check that you're going to have to write if it's 24000 bucks? And the interest rate's 3.75. We know how to compare that to the next guy who's 25000 bucks, and the interest rate's 3.75. Now, where it gets a little bit tricky is, let's say it's 24000 for 3.75, and then it's 25000 for 3.625. Now, what do you do? 1000 bucks more for a slightly lower interest rate. Now you actually do have to get a little bit into the numbers and do some thinking. I would zoom out. Honestly, I would tell them, hey, and this is what I tell my clients. First of all, when you're out shopping interest rate stuff, it's got to be from the same day, right? You can't compare what I had a week ago Friday to what Wells Fargo has today. The market's gone haywire in the last five days. So if... If you're looking at something from last week versus something to today, you don't know that you're comparing apples to apples. So you got to get a quote on the same day. 
And then the other thing is just make them the same interest rates. So I, that's awesome that you're only a thousand bucks more for the lower rate. I, I just I need to see them both. Can, so can you give me a three point seven five? Um, and you could even get three out of one lender. Hey, will you give me three point seven five, three point six two five, and three point five? Then let's lay them on the table here next to the competing lenders, same three rates, and see across the board. Um, generally speaking, they're going to be the same. Um, if bank A is beating bank B on one rate, they're going to be beating them on all the rates. And if you compare on a given day, then they're beating them on Monday. They're going to beat them on all of the days. You know, So it's a drill you really only have to do one time, line them up, see who's the best. Um, and so my point is I'd like to see less people falling for gimmicks. I'd like to see less people thinking that a $2,000 credit, hey, I don't even need to go shopping. I don't need to get a second opinion. I don't need a good faith estimate from Central Coast Lending because – they're giving me a $2,000 credit, and I know you're not going to give me two grand. That's crazy. Yeah, we do. The, some of the closing cost credits, I mean, everybody gets a closing cost credit associated to their interest rate. Could be $10,000. Doesn't mean it's the right fit for you. We will. We actually pride ourselves in removing all of the smoke and mirrors. I'll show you the credit at every interest rate, and I'll show you the payment, and we will understand together how you're making the decision, how many, you know, how much are you saving up front or over the life of the loan? If you're electing to buy down the interest rate, how many months does it take you to break even all that kind of thing? Um, and so it's just, it's important here to get multiple quotes on the same day and then don't fall for the gimmicky stuff. When you're doing something for two or three or $500,000, Surely you're getting more than one opinion, right? You would hope. One would hope. Not always the <laughs> case. Always... So this dude yeah. and I worked together all day long, and eventually I said, hey. So I kind of told him what I just told you. Now, granted, it wasn't so labored because we were just you know banging nails together, but I told him, you know, hey, it's that credit. I know they give you that credit, and that credit generally is enough to buy your common sense. You you don't go shopping. You don't go make sure you're getting a good deal. It's just like it's a it's somehow like a tranquilizer that you've a tranquilizer dart that's going to make you go to their lender that's going to control the transaction here. You don't have to do that. And honestly, if you want to look into it, I'm like I can't give you any kind of a deal. I'm not gonna. I can't cut my commission or do something crazy, but I can tell you that uh, every time I've ever compared these, my deal is gonna come out better than theirs, even with the quote unquote credit. So, um, at any rate, I, I just I want more people to realize that. So I told this to that guy, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, we did. We we did check with a broker um, when we went because it because it's Wells that's gonna do this deal." And so I said, oh, and what happened at the broker? Um, And I didn't really get a very firm answer on that before he said, hey, do you think this recent uptick in the market's here to stay? And then, um, you know, kind of changed the conversation a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I just wish more people would fall for less gimmicks. It's hard. It's hard when gimmicks are everywhere. 
You get mailings that look official and they're really not official, and you get a lot of misinformation. Even my own dad gets confused <laughs> by some of the advertising, and you know we talk about the mortgage business almost every time we see each other. So it's it's a it's a tough world to navigate, and that's you know not why to we're mention around. when you see Wells Fargo and they're in. I mean, Wells Fargo's got to be like in every country of the world now, right? Sure. How can they not be the best at this? They're the, the biggest. Um, and you, and you like you walk into the branch and it looks good and it's nice and they're professional and they do credit cards and car loans. And I mean, how hard is it to do a mortgage? And and without any knowledge of this stuff whatsoever, if you look at it, you go, yeah. I would I would consider getting a loan from Wells Fargo. I mean, why not? They do all of that stuff. Obviously, they know what they're doing. Well, and I already bank with them. So yeah, they know that's me. easy. Yeah. They're likely to give me a loan because they understand my finances. Um, absolutely not. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, but um, and then if if you're so like then you're one step savvier on the consumer. You get the Wells Fargo quote, and then you go to Bankrate.com. Because that's where they post the 30-year fixed, right? So I can head on over to bankrate.com. I know that Wells Fargo is offering me a 3.875. I look at bankrate.com and it says 3.75. And I go, oh, that's right there in the wheelhouse. I mean, what's 0.1%? That's chump change. I'm good. All right. I shopped around. Um, no, you didn't. You really screwed up. Our rates are generally always a quarter of a point less than bankrate.com. Um, and, and when I say our rates, I'm talking about like our, our average really good investor is beating bankrate every day. Uh, and the other thing about it is, um, a quarter of a point does make a lot of difference on a mortgage loan. A quarter of a point could be a hundred dollars a month. $1,200 a year, um, start doing the math. What is that going to be? That's going to be like $30,000 over the life of the loan. That is a lot of money. Don't leave that on the table. Um, you got to understand what goes into that. You know, on the car loan thing, it's like if you were down there to finance your new or used car and they said, you know, Dan, we're going to give you 5.5, not the 5.4 that you wanted. Are you going to stand up and walk out of there? Probably not. It's a $15,000 loan that's going to be here for 48 months. That's not that big of a deal. It's, you're like, well, what does that make the payment? And he's like, well, it goes up by $3. You go, ah, I'm, I'm okay with that, 3 bucks, no problem. I'll skip adding an air freshener to it. But in a mortgage, all of a sudden, we're talking about financing hundreds of thousands of dollars over the life of a loan. 0.1%, 0.2%, that's a lot of money. That's not something you leave on the table. <laughs> that is that car. Yes, that's <laughs> four of those cars. I mean, it really can be, but it blows my mind that people don't see the value in shopping around like that. Well, and, and that's why we're here. That's why we make a living. So if you guys have questions about that stuff, give us a call you know, in the office or here on the air. If you have questions right now about what we're talking about, about how to shop for a loan, that's the kind of stuff we like to explain and like to educate you on. Um, you can call us live in the studio right now if you want to ask a question or share a comment, 543-8830, 543-8830. 
Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break here, and then we'll come. <clears throat> excuse me, we'll come back for oh about another half hour or so. We've got that's what we've got left here on Mortgage Matters today, and then you can get on and enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day weekend. Um, stick around for these quick messages. The third annual Stacked Wine Raffle is on, and you can win 100 bottles of premium wine valued at over $3,000 courtesy of Stacks Wine Bar of Morro Bay. Only 100 tickets will be sold. One in five tickets will be a winner, but only one lucky person will win the grand prize. All proceeds are to benefit the Morro Bay Fourth of July celebration. The raffle will be held on June 30th at 1 p.m. at Stacks Wine Bar in Morro Bay. Help support the Morro Bay Fourth of July and buy your raffle ticket today. For more info, call 772-5055. That's 772-5055 or go to StacksWine.com. Borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home purchase or refinance can be a stressful endeavor. And if you're like most Californians, you only get a home loan once every five years. That's why you need an experienced guide who knows the terrain and can carry the load of two mules. You need the Mortgage Sherpa, and he's only at Central Coast Lending. Let the Mortgage Sherpa lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. I hope you got a chance to stretch your legs, take some deep breaths, get some oxygen flowing. It feels like, um, I feel like I've been hearing my voice too much, honestly. But you've got so like. much good stuff to talk about, so I think it's, I think everyone's I bet I lull it. people to sleep sometimes, though, because I, I feel like when I hear my voice on the radio, I feel like it, it is kind of one of those uh, um, calm, collected... Oh, this chair is comfortable, you know. Dan got me <laughs> Dan got me during the break and, and reminded me that I, I blew over a part of that quick again. Um and the part that we really 
Well, we look. I'll tell you this. I, I'm going to start it like this, Dan, and then I'm going to hand you the reins so that I can listen to you for a minute. Okay. I love being a broker. Um, I got a call from a really close friend of mine that lives out of the state and said, help me do a loan. And I said, I can't. I can't do your loan in Texas. Help me find a loan officer. Who should I call? What What should I do? Um, here's the deal. You need a broker. You don't go to a bank. Do not go to a bank. You'll overpay. You get their super conservative, misshapen, bizarre program that they came up with to please their chair, board, directors, whatever. Um, How do you find a good broker? If you don't know somebody in town because they don't have a great radio show or something, um, call escrow. Hey, who's your busiest escrow officer? Awesome. Can I talk to him or her? Get them on the phone and say, who is the mortgage broker that you respect because they always do the right thing? Awesome. Can I have their phone number? Now you've found your way to the broker that is going to get you the very best deal and they, as a broker, have access to all of the banks, all of the programs, all of the things. And that is like going into a gunfight. I would say if you're using, if you go to Wells Fargo, now you're walking into a gunfight with like a single gun. And if you go into this transaction using a broker, you're driving in with every weapon that exists because that's what it means to have 40 different banks at your disposal. And that, as a broker, I know that day in and day out, if it can be done, we can do it. And it's um, that's a great feeling. You know, there's so many things about a loan that one bank will do and the next bank won't. That's and that's a great point. All those are great points. Um, so one of the big advantages, aside from just offering a competitive rate and fee structure on all the core loan programs and having different outlets for each loan program, brokers are oftentimes the best problem solvers in the mortgage industry. You'll walk into a bank like a Wells Fargo or a Bank of America, and they have their program, their interpretation of the guidelines. They have their minimum credit score, their maximum debt-to-income ratio, their minimum standards for property. To be fair, most banks do. Every bank has their standards, their minimums, their maximums, their you know their standards for property. Every bank has some criteria which is the basis of their underwriting guidelines. And some of them are really bizarre. For example, you might run into a bank. Let's say you're a, you're a foreign national, okay, and you want to buy a house in California. You may walk into a bank and they just say, no, we won't do business with a foreign national. And you go, well, wait a minute. Fannie and Freddie do? How come? No. Um, so maybe you drive to the next bank on the street and – they tell you the same thing. And you go to a third bank and they tell you the same thing. You can be awfully frustrated because every bank that you run into in California here has an issue with a foreign national. Go over to a brokerage. We got 40 banks and they're spread out around the country. 
Um, I can tell you, I can think of eight right now that allow a foreign national. That's not a very common thing, but there you go. So something so simple like that, that we're not even now, we didn't even talk about your income or your credit or the trillions of dollars you have in the bank because you're like a Saudi oil God or something. I mean, there are people that it doesn't even matter how common sense and amazing the borrower is. The bank just has this ridiculous rule and you're you're done, right? The, before you even got evaluated, they just say no. And the other frustration that you brought up during the break was that the bank doesn't let you know that that's just their criteria. Well, that's weakness. We've denied, we've denied your loan because it just can't be done. But they don't let you know that that's just their interpretation and that it can be done in the industry with another company. You're kind of left to believe that that's it. Everybody has the same interpretation, and I'm just – I just can't get a loan. Well, in my experience, though, and, and, you know, I've managed at different mortgage banks. So I know from the top down what the philosophy is. My experience is that the loan officers are just told, no, you can never do that. No, 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 no. That's not a possible thing to do. And because, you know, these guys that work at the bank aren't hanging out with the brokers. And you're almost never, are you ever going to find a broker that goes to work for the bank? You know, it's like once you've been free and had the full gamut of all the programs and all this stuff, you're going to go over to work for the bank. If anything, we see a lot of bankers become brokers. Um, But so that being said, they really don't even know any better. So when they look at you and tell you, oh, I'm sorry, sir, the the combination of cash out on that investment property is something that's just not possible. It's because it's a duplex and you just you can't do cash out. So sorry. Um, That's not true all over the place. And so we were naming off the things. Um, Credit score is one of them. That's probably a big driver. You look at some companies like you only want to put 5% down because that's all you got to buy this house. Bank A may tell you, you got to have a 760. That's what it – got to have spotless credit if you're just going to put 5% down and get mortgage insurance. There's other banks that will be okay with a 720. We might even be able to find you a bank that could do a 680. So if you have a 770, it doesn't matter, right? Do it wherever. You're fine. But if you have a 719 – um, I, you get told no by one bank, get told by another bank. Um, are you going to go to 40 banks? Probably not. But if you're working with a broker, they already know. I mean, we have those cheat sheets and matrices about the banks and what their tolerances are. Um, what are some of the other ones? One of the big things that comes up is property. Yeah. And in particular, one of the hot button issues, and it's become a kind of a common thought amongst consumers, is that if there's a non-permitted improvement or addition to the property, that that property is simply unfinanceable. And that's not the case. There's a lot of banks that will not touch property that has been altered without permits, but there's a lot of banks that will. As sure. long as... It can be demonstrated that the work was done in a workmanlike manner, and that is pretty easy to determine. Are codes generally met? Is the look of the work done well? Well, Uh, not only that, but can it just not be valued and still be okay to the transaction? In other words, you converted the garage into additional living space. 
What was ultimately permitted by the city as a 1,500-square-foot house, if now counted that new space, would be 1,900 square feet. And we got some banks that, you know, will just deny that loan all day long. No, you can't do that. It's not legal. It's not up to code. You can't do that. We're not going to – And as an aside real quick, you know why they don't? Because when a lender chooses, they review an appraisal and they say – Yeah, that's acceptable. To some degree, they sort of indemnify the condition of the property. So now let's say uh, a year or two down the road, this place blows up because they ran a gas line to this illegal addition that the county didn't sign off on and nobody ever knew if the quality of construction was good or not. Um, That. The bank actually has some kind of liability in that. They, I mean, they deemed it financeable. They helped you buy it. So, really, in the in these cases, the banks are gonna they're gonna be more conservative because they realize they're stamping it that way. So, some banks are just like unpermitted. That means the building inspector wasn't in it. They're not down with it. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter. Don't care. Count it or not. Doesn't matter. Take it somewhere else. Then there's other companies that say, hey, well, it did you move gas or water or electrical? The answer is no to those questions. Okay, that's good because now I don't feel like anybody's going to die. Um, how is the How does it affect the value of the property? Can you still value it as a 1,500-square-foot house and make the loan, make the purchase work? Okay, cool. Um, so that's a big one. We see non-permitted additions, conversions, and sometimes something as simple as a sunroom. They put a nice sunroom on the back patio, but did it without permits because they weren't, uh, they didn't know they needed them most of the time. And, and I kind of feel like that's the responsibility of the vendor selling the sunroom or the contractor that installed it. But, you know, whatever the point is. Little things like that can create big problems in lending if you're at the wrong bank. Um, Another one that comes up pretty regularly is debt-to-income ratio. Um, Fannie Mae's automated underwriting engine literally evaluates the, the credit, the income, the assets, everything, and says yay or nay. And sometimes people have a little bit higher debt-to-income ratio than they should, okay? But... When you look at it from all of the angles, so yeah, I, I'm I'm not stoked that you spend more than 50% of your income on, on your house payment, but you know what makes me feel pretty good about it? That million bucks you have in the bank, that's pretty good because now I'm pretty sure that you're going to be able to supplement yourself if you got to get a root canal next month. You're not going broke like the guy that has nothing, so... Um, Using a little bit of common sense there, those are that's like a loan characteristic that we could cozy up to. If you have a high debt to income ratio, what are the compensating factors? Why should this make sense? Does it get an approve eligible out of the automated underwriting engine? Some of the banks just go uh, everything north of forty four percent debt to income ratio. That's a deny. And again, when they deny you, they make it sound as though it's just. Matter of fact, this you're never going to get a home loan because of this. And I wish they had um, the the knowledge and the gall to say it won't work here, but it works other places. Um, 
So there's a laundry list of those things. Another one that popped up just recently and pops up often is for real estate investors or, or folks who may have just acquired a few properties along the way. If you have more than four financed properties, that can be problematic to either refinance or purchase another property. Um, you need a lender or a bank that works directly with Fannie Mae. That will get you up to 10 financed properties being okay. Some people, we had a, a gentleman that owns 12 finance properties, and he's looking to buy a 13th. This is what he does. He buys properties. He keeps them long-term for good cash flow. Kind of important to be able to get a loan. Yeah, and he likes to carry a little bit of um, debt on them. So, But they all have good equity. You know, None of these are, are high loan-to-values. They're all below 50%. Um, a very stable real estate investor, lot, you know, doing a great job, but having trouble finding a loan for this new property he wants to buy. We've got, of our 40 banks, three offer programs for him to be able to buy a new investment property. And how are you going to find that on your own, really? I mean, this is like you've got to have a broker to be able to sort that out. Um, the other thing... When you, you mentioned that guy with the finance properties, you know what else I thought of immediately that just varies radically from one bank to the next? Their view of derogatory credit. If you had a bankruptcy two years ago, um, some of these banks won't give you a loan. I mean, they look at it as though you are, you know, you're scum. You didn't pay your bills. Got yourself in over your head. You lost it all. But in walks this guy who totally does. He got run over by RTD and couldn't pay his bills because he was, you know, in this insurance battle and all this crap. And there's lawsuits everywhere. And he had to go bankrupt just to save himself or his assets or his 401k or something. Now he wants to buy a house, has the same old job he's always had. Again, it's like a there's some discretion to this. And and I think really the big banks, it's hard to grant underwriters um, too much power where they can be subjective because historically it gets abused. You know, you let somebody begin making exceptions or using common sense for these kind of things. And then it starts to be abused. Um, they pull strings and favors for others and stuff where, and not, not only that, but you have to have a highly skilled staff when you're going to invite an underwriter to approve and sign off on a higher debt to income ratio because of compensating factors, that's more that generally is a is a high paid underwriter that's been in the business for a good long time and understands what he or she is doing. It's not the kind of loan or underwriter that's been in the business for a year and doesn't really grasp what's going on, just knows how to read the automated underwriting findings and say yay or nay. So sometimes I feel like these banks make sort of a lowest common denominator just to stay out of hot water. Now you know what? We don't do bankruptcies in less than four years. I know Fannie will let you do them in two, but that's just a little too risky for us, so we say four. And that becomes the rule for the bank. And, again, they won't tell you that. They'll just tell the consumer, nope, you have recent bankruptcy and you're ineligible for financing. And that's not the right answer. The answer is it will work elsewhere. Um, back in the day, mortgage brokers were – 
Um, I mean, this this is kind of the reason brokers came about because they can negotiate deals between a slew of banks that have a variety of standards and different offerings and menus and all this. And you hit it on the head. They're problem solvers. Brokers are problem solvers. Multitasker at the highest level, uh, knowing how to log in and out of 40 different bank systems and where to price them and who to talk to and what happens, you know, when there's a an issue, how do you figure out who's okay with um, having a vehicle repossession six months ago or something like that? There's all these little things that go into it. And brokers generally have been very nimble. And sadly, we got kind of a black eye um, at the beginning of this recession because everything was always blamed on the broker. Well, it's the broker. The, the broker was running amok. The broker was making loans he knew good and well weren't going to perform. And the broker was at the root of all of this, right? And you go, well, hang on a minute. Um Tell me again, which one of these brokers, because I want to get them. Let's string them up. In fact, let's execute these brokers <laughs> publicly. We'll put them in the, the heart of town. We'll put them on the cross. You go get me all the brokers that made loan programs. They wrote the loan programs. Go get them all. I want to see next. I want to see all the brokers that all the brokers that were out there securitizing these loans and putting them into the credit default swaps. All those brokers, too, you know, we're... We're sorry for you, too, but you're going to be executed as well. The brokers never did any of that stuff. They didn't make any loan programs. They didn't have trades to Wall Street with credit default swaps and all this crap. Brokers merely receive an email from the bank about what they offer, and they pair people with those same characteristics with the bank, right? So who are these brokers that are bad? Um, and I talked about it a little bit earlier in the show. The to you, Jim, the um, banks are not required to disclose their profit and what their loan officer is being paid. Okay, the laws require that the broker is. Okay, so it the two fee worksheets look very different. If you get one from Wells Fargo, it'll look very different from one you get from a broker. Um, But that's why at the end of the day, you just got to be able to look at that bottom line and understand uh, what goes into it. You know, what's the cash in at the end and what's the interest rate. Um, So it, that's the deal is like people think like you said dan uh, well i bank there and they know me so i can go in there and then you go on in there and then you're told that um hey good news you can get a loan okay well sadly you overpaid for it or you're told that you can't get a loan because your you know student loans are in deferment and the way they calculate the loans coming out of deferment your debt to income ratio is beyond the tolerance in in either case it's like it's a loss you know um we like we'd like to see those people in our company to talk about what those options are and um that that's really what i what i think we're doing you know offering the gamut yeah and the i guess the last point about this is it's not limited to this kind of expertise and um you know Problem solving and program shopping and and all that stuff that goes along with working with a broker isn't solely for people who have four hundred thousand dollar loans and higher. You know, we work with people who have any 
loan amount. I know a lot of people go out and shop for their refinance on a on a ninety thousand dollar loan balance, and a, a lot of times they're told, "Now we don't work with that small of a loan." Right. You know, that's a common thing. No, I'm not gonna. A lot of both brokers and bankers right. don't want to deal with a low loan amount because it's simply not worth it's their not time profitable. in their opi- in opinion. We don't discriminate. You know, we work with everybody. So that's that's another difference, I think. I did a loan a couple of years ago for a, um, a friend for $48,000. And honestly, I mean, I was happy to do it and honored for the opportunity to do it. But this is not a, lo- a money-making loan here. This is not like the bread and butter kind of deal. Uh, but, yeah, she had checked around. And gotten um, told by three other banks that she had to borrow at least a hundred thousand dollars, and they would they would give her a loan for a hundred thousand dollars that she could immediately repay fifty two thousand dollars of. But um, you know, loans are amortized based on the the initial loan amount, not the new you know after the payment kind of thing. So it would leave her with a payment on a hundred thousand dollar loan. Granted, it wouldn't go for the whole 30-year term, but her point in refining was to lower the monthly nut, you know? Um, but, yeah, it was told by multiple banks either wouldn't do it or required a higher loan amount, and I just thought that that was a bummer. Um, These are just a few of the the stories, you know, of, of real clients that weren't able to be helped elsewhere that could be helped by us. And there's so many other situations that are specific to, you know, just your situation, you know, whatever it is. There's so many other things that we could talk about. But the point is, is that whatever your unique situation is, whether you're refinancing a home you own already or trying to buy a home that you just love either for yourself or for an investment, we can do it. Whether it's a simple deal or a challenging deal, we can do it. Well, and I was going to say, and even if we can't, you're going to you're going to come away from that with a different understanding. This is the deal that's non-negotiable for every bank we can think of. <laughs> this was your one problem, and when you can identify it or pinpoint it in that way, now we know that we just have to solve that problem. You know, if it's something credit related, maybe you can pay it off, pay it down, fix it, get it removed. Um, if it's seasoning over a bankruptcy or a foreclosure, need X amount of time, so be it. You're going to have to let some time pass. But at least to have an understanding of why it's just without question not going to work. Um, you know, that that's just the helpful information, I think. We live in a – we seem to live in a time where everybody's – Goal. If it's not your goal to own a house, it's like, why not? Right? I mean, sometimes I wonder if it's just what we do for a living, and then sometimes I wonder if it really is just the American dream for everyone to own a house. But um, not having – like when you're young or whatever, not having those – answers or dependable answers, not knowing what the loan programs are. Oh, that was the other thing that I wanted to mention. So it's our goal, especially as rates go up, it's our goal to do a lot a, a lot of purchase loans. We want to help everybody that can buy loans. This is one of the major areas where banks, different banks really have different programs. Um, mortgage insurance is a huge one. 
Whenever you have less than a 20% down payment, you have to have some kind of mortgage insurance, right? I mean, even if it's VA or USDA, FHA, they all have different kinds of mortgage insurances. And on all of those government type of programs, it's all going to be the same from one bank to another. The mortgage insurance is effectively set by HUD and you just have to pay it. No no matter where you get the loan, it's going to be the same everywhere you go. On a conventional loan... That's not the case. Mortgage insurance can vary so widely, it's not even funny. Um, some So f- one option is just to do borrower-paid mortgage insurance, which is where you pay every month. Um, you pay until you reach like a 78% loan to value, and then the mortgage insurance will stop. And so it might be a couple hundred bucks a month, and you just pay it. That's what most banks will offer, and that's where most banks will draw the line. There's another kind of mortgage insurance that's called lender-paid mortgage insurance, and this is basically where they um, charge a fee, and you just kind of buy it out as part of the closing costs. And, And you can. You can pay it with increased closing costs, or you can pay it in a higher interest rate. But for the most part, you know, on a $300,000 loan, Borrower paid mortgage insurance might be one hundred and fifty or one hundred and eighty dollars a month, where lender paid mortgage insurance is just going to be four thousand bucks. So you can evaluate how long you're going to have to have this mortgage insurance for, and you can evaluate whether you want to do the borrower paid versus the lender paid. Complicating matters even further. There are some banks that offer a hybrid of the two, where you can make a payment up front of maybe 2000 bucks and then instead of paying 180 bucks a month just pay like 60 or 80 bucks a month all of those you got to do the math on and if you don't understand the different offerings and the different way to analyze that and you just sign up for one of them you could really cost yourself a lot of extra money so mortgage insurance is one that really separates one bank from another and um people are generally Pretty pleased when they're doing a conventional loan. You know, you can do a conventional loan with only 3% down. And the mortgage insurance will vary like crazy on that. So it's one of these things where people that go from a company where they're told they have to put 10% down can come to a company like ours where we have banks that will do it for just 3% down. That's a pretty good pickup. And then to boot, they'll learn that they're allowed to do a lender paid mortgage insurance versus a borrower paid or, um, you know, sometimes maybe Wells Fargo will say because of your credit score, you have to do an FHA loan. But then there's other banks that will allow that lower credit score with a conventional loan. And it's a, just a way cheaper way to do the deal. That's about that's about all I have to say about that. Booyah. Mortgage brokers are better. And that's how it is. I I mean, I really think so. And this is this is one of the things I struggle with, Dan, when we talk about becoming a mortgage bank. I don't really ever want to lose the ability to broker. Oh, oh, we won't. I want to be able to <laughs> Be the direct lender for the clients that don't need any special accommodation or consideration that are just 
by everybody's standards are a true vanilla borrower and deserve a fantastic loan. But all of the other people, like the majority of people, have some kind of an issue where they do need some accommodation, and not all banks are going to have the desire to do it. I want to be able to broker those always. It's in the master plan. It's going to happen. Hey, guys, if you are interested in real estate and finance and economics, I invite you to come over to our website on a daily or weekly basis, however often you like to get your fill of numbers and information. Our website, centralcoastlending.com. We have articles about national, state, and local news. We also create our own content. Um, Most recently, you can see a couple of cities in our county profiled um, for home sales statistics, home price trends, market trends. We have a couple of great articles written by some of our own staff profiling Arroyo Grande and Atascadero real estate markets. So you can go over to our website and check that stuff out. You can also just keep up to date on where interest rates are. We track those on a daily basis on our website. Again, centralcoastlending.com is where you can find all this information. If you're in the market for a refinance or a home purchase, you can apply online um, at centralcoastlending.com. We've got an Apply Now button up at the top of the page. It's very easy. It's secure. Um, We take hundreds of loan applications a month through our website um, and it it works flawlessly. It's a great system. You can catch podcasts of our radio show on the website. Um, you can learn all about our staff. You can see some of the great stuff we do in the community, like our Habitat for Humanity um, volunteer day that, that our entire company participated in yesterday. We've got pictures. Um, we've got links so that you can find out how to get involved with a great organization like Habitat. So there's a lot going on on centralcoastlending.com. We also have the best loan officers in the business. We've already told you why working with a broker is the best way to go. Um, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, we're going to give you the expert advice that you need. Um, all of our loan officers are seasoned professionals. They know the industry. They know loans. They know how to solve problems. They know how to work on the easy deals, too. Those are the easy ones. Anyone can do an easy loan. We can do those, and we can do the hard ones. You can reach any one of our offices in the county by calling one easy phone number. It's 543-LOAN, 543-5626, 543-5626. Don't forget next week to tune in earlier than 10 because there's going to be that new show on. I don't remember what it's called, but it's not the colon cleansing commercial anymore. Jim Bradley show. Four-hour block of local radio starting at 8 a.m. next week. And we'll be back with a fresh new episode of Mortgage Matters. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, everyone.